Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, on this sunny Queensland afternoon, I have the honour of being joined by Luke Pong, South Australian-born, wine enthusiast, sports enthusiast, all-round great guy, as I trust we will share and uh, demonstrate throughout the course of this interview. Luke, how are you doing? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? Good. Look, it's humid. It's warm. I think that winter is gone as opposed to winter is coming. And summer is upon us. And, you know, it's such is life. But I'm drawing a glass of white wine and I'm sitting down and I get to talk to yourself. And so that that makes it a little more bearable, I think. All things <laughs> I'll, I'll try and do my best uh, for you. I, I probably <laughs> should have... Um, Probably should have bought a beer or a glass of wine in myself, but uh, I've got a game of touch that I need to get to after this. So, wow, you're on the clock. Um, yeah, in a certain sense, I guess <laughs> <laughs> it is recreational. So, I should clear that up. The, the, the funnest kind. How often do you play touch? Um, I haven't played in quite a while uh, yep. simply because I've been playing AFL football um, with the, my local footy club, the Parkridge Pirates. Um, since our season has concluded, um, it's given me the opportunity to get back into some touch with um, some fellow Catholics. Um, so if there's anyone out there that's listening and would be interested in joining, feel free to let me know. How awesome is that? But before we get into the really, really deep things, let's, um, let's just talk, talk about you. And, you're, you know, you've got a love of sport. You were in the Army Reserves. Fun fact is that you played on a team that beat the Spanish national football team <laughs> in Aussie rules. Can, can you tell me about that? There's a lot that I think could be yeah. unpacked um, that sort of confuses uh, me a little. There, there is a Spanish team. <laughs> yeah, look, um, suffice to say, a lot of mayo has been thrown onto that. Um, um, mate, that's so, what it's for. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so basically... I went over to um, London, and I suspect that will probably come up in uh, later on in this interview. But when I was over there, uh, one of my old uh, friends from primary school actually invited me to come out and play for a club called the North London Lions. Um, got involved. Uh, it was great. Um, and then on one of their pre-season trips, we were able to um, uh, get in contact with some expats and some fellow locals that were really passionate about AFL. Um, and basically, uh, we were able to play their national team um, in which we won. Um, however, I suffered a pretty bad ankle injury in that game, which pretty much meant that I couldn't work for the next two months. And on top of that, um, I wasn't able to play. So I was yeah. pretty devastated. Um, but thanks to some great support from one of your regular um, people on the show here, Tam, and um, a few of the Catholics over there. Um, yep. I was able to get through it, and it's been great. How good is that? How long have you been? So you, well, I think you just answered the question. You've got a bit of a history when it comes to the great game of Aussie rules. Um, a little bit. So, okay. uh, oh, actually, I could probably go back to my grandfather. He um, mm -hmm. he played for pre AFL days. I should add. Um, he played in the SANFL, so that's the South Australian National Football League. Mm -hmm. um, he was playing for a club called Norwood. Um, if you're from South Australia or um, a more, an above average fan of AFL, you would have heard of them. Um, and, yeah, he was known as a um, pretty 
pretty hard individual. I think yep. that would be fair to say. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm very lucky to have some pieces of memorabilia from his um, playing days. Um, from there, I uh, even from a young age, I, had, I was quite keen on footy. Unfortunately for me, though, uh, my mum and my dad were not, um, given the uh, rough nature of the game and the um, high chance of injury. They steered me into tennis, um, which I enjoyed. It's a great and, game, and tennis. Good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I'm not as good as, um, <laughs> as, as I'd like to be. And uh, my patience as an individual, especially um, practically in those early years, uh, were, was not uh, suited to the game of tennis. So um, eventually got involved into a footy club that my uncle used to play for in Adelaide, Edwardstown Football Club. Um, and from there, yeah, just started playing, really enjoying it. And, um, yeah. Okay, and the, the footy you play these days for the Parkridge Pirates, recreational, relaxed, casual, or are you a, uh, you're a hardballer? Um, hardballer, but understanding that it is local footy. <laughs> uh, so, um, so, look, you know, uh, I do like to think that I'm a relatively competitive person. I don't yep. like to lose. We have had a rough couple of years down at Parkridge Pirates, Um uh, due to multiple reasons, um, the COVID being one of them, I think that's sort of impacted um, everyone's lives, obviously, but um, at large, the community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I do play with um, some other fellow Catholics on that team, um, and it's been great to be uh, playing with them and um, just sort of um, being there for them um, in, a, in a certain sort of capacity because I do know that, footy clubs can be um, pretty rough places at the best of times. Mm. Um, and um, I just wanted to, in so much as I could, just be there for those guys and just let them know that, you know, um, you don't have to um, get involved with everything um, that comes with the social um, aspect of footy clubs and still be like um, a well-regarded and appreciated player within the club. Mm-hmm. Good on you. Um, I know you've, Travelled somewhat, sort of extensively, and I think I think we'll have more time to sort of touch on that throughout your story. We'll try and sort of sew that into there. Um, but you're yourself was born, and with that, the the first thing thing that sort of comes into my mind. Uh, I've got a one track mind when it sort of comes to things. South Australia, I think of wine. I think of you know Barossa, McLarenvale. <laughs> your family's got a bit of a connection, I understand, in the wine world. Um, but that's not actually a South yes. Australian connection. Uh, if I was to say Blue Blue Pyrenees, can you tell me a little bit about yeah. that? Um, so my I've got a nice bottle of Chardonnay maker. on the shelf with a Blue Pyrenees. Oh yeah, mm. oh, I do. Uh, was mm-hmm. that a recommendation from someone? Or? No, which was quite funny um, because I didn't know about the connection. I've you know had a pretty okay. good relationship with Blue Pyrenees as did my my late father. Um, and somebody saw oh, it on wow, the shelf when they were over um, and said, oh, did you know so-and-so? Because I, I, I knew of you. I remembered you from, you know, a, a long time ago. And they said, oh, so-and-so is associated with uh, Blue Pyrenees. And I said, no way. I'm lodging that up here <laughs> for a later date. So, yeah, um, my uncle, um, he, he's a winemaker and um, he landed himself uh, a job at Blue Pyrenees as the head winemaker and uh, went on to become the CEO of that particular winery. Um, in recent times, uh, both he and the new owner of that 
um, winery have decided to part ways. Um, read into that as much as you like. Um, so, you know, coming from a completely unbiased perspective, um, Blue Pyrenees has probably only got about two to three years of good wine left in them um, <laughs> since my uncle's left. So, um, but if you do get the opportunity to, um, I highly recommend their Shirazes. Um, if you can get your mitts on, on the Section 1 or their Estate Blend, um, they are just incredible drops that yep. are almost to die for. Okay. Um, can I ask about the Estate quite, Blend? What, yeah, what is the um, estate blend? The estate blend is m- mostly made up of um, Shiraz, um, and then I think it's got a mixture of Pinot Noir and Merlot in it. Um, it, it did win quite a number of awards, so um, I'm not being unbiased when I say that. The facts yep. are out there. Um, yep. uh, fortunately for me, when I got married, um, I was able to get quite a large quantity of Blue Pyrenees wine, um, as I'm sure if you've drunk some of it, I'm sure you're aware that my uncle likes to pack a little bit of extra uh, alcohol into those into those drops. So um, there was a few people that had a couple of glasses and went, well, that's, uh, that's a little bit more than I was expecting. And um, But it led to a great night had by all from what I understand. So, yep. um, you know, fantastic um, to have that there. Yeah, good. Because the, uh, the Victorians are punching. Um, in terms of the, the quality of the wine they're producing. Yeah, Yarra Yearing just churned out wine of the year, I think, for uh, James Holiday, and that, that was a blend. Um, so, I don't know, you've, you've sounded yeah. the, the death knell for Blue Pyrenees, which is unfortunate. <laughs> I thought maybe they can respond with the counter blend. Um, but um, Yeah, I d- uh, you, you're going to have to talk to someone else. Um, yeah. That being said, you know, Victoria has its regions that are doing quite well, obviously, lesser known um, within, um, I guess, the greater population that they actually have a wine industry there, um, but um, it, it, it does quite well for itself. The conditions there are um, unique mm-hmm. um, in terms of not being like the Hunter Valley in New South Wales and not being like uh, the Barossa or the um, McLaren Vale um, regions in South Australia. So, uh, you know, they've carved out a good niche there for themselves and they're making mm-hmm. the most of it, but... Um, I think I think South Australia will uh, very quickly reclaim some sort of title on that front. Yeah. Okay. L- last question in relation to this, just because it's something I'm interested and passionate about. What do you like drinking? You're a big fruity man, or sort of a lighter, more delicate? Ooh. Right. What's what's your? It really going? depends on what I'm. Yeah. It really depends on what I'm eating and what I'm kind of mm-hmm. in the mood for. I guess. Um, yep. My go-to though would be a good punchy Shiraz. Um, yeah, okay. Whether that be. Um, fruity, spicy, um, or even earthy, um, I'm, I'm happy if it's a good drop. Um, if it's not such a great drop, not not so great. Um, yeah. I'm not above uh, throwing some down the sink if it's that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Gotcha. Terrific. All right. The story of Luke Hong. So, cradle Catholic, born a Catholic. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So, um, as far as I can remember, um, my mum my took me to Mass on Sundays. We, pl- we prayed the rosary um, every night as a child. Um, obviously, growing up in South Australia, though, uh, there is not a large traditional Catholic community in mm-hmm. that area. Um, so, I didn't really have anyone 
um, sort of in my age group, I didn't really have any peers. Um, it was just kind of um, this is how it is. Um, learnt my catechism, was able to, um, you know, obviously receive my first communion. Um, I was also able to be confirmed um, in some of my travels um, and um, sort of continue on from there. Um, my grandparents, very strong, fervent Catholics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, um, they're, I just, anyone that knows them just thinks of Catholic. I think that's the best way to describe it. Even okay. um, some of my um, relatives that have fallen away from the faith, they just, you know, uh, them and Catholicism is uh, very much um, synonymous. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, your par- your parents' background, so both sides. Yeah. Yep. Um, no. So my dad, um, my dad was not a believer. Um, yep. He uh, did not practice either. Um, eventually, did convert. Unfortunately, he's um, moved away from his faith. Mm-hmm. I suspect, and and you know, I'm happy to be corrected on this um i suspect that maybe he did it to sort of appease my mum a little bit um our whatever his intentions were i can't really speak on behalf of the man but um you know there was a uh, conversion there at some point um how fervent and genuine like um, i couldn't tell you yep and what what were your early experiences with catholicism because i think what's somewhat typical especially with traditional uh cradle traditional Catholics, um, you, you only realise how unique it is to be traditional Catholic the moment that you hit that stage where you actually see what's going on in the world outside um, of you and it's not something that you think an awful lot about in your, your early infancy. That was my experience anyway. Uh, what, what about yours? Um, I think the realisation for me came a lot sooner, um, right. pretty much as soon as I got to school. So... Um, when in Adelaide, I went to a Protestant school called Our Saviour Lutheran School. Um, it was, uh, you know, um, a decision that my, that my mum made. Mm-hmm. Um, there were reasons behind that. But as soon as I arrived at the school, I understood that they believed in Jesus um, and sort of had their version or their story of Jesus. Um, but I also knew that it was going to be very different to what, I'd been taught in certain aspects. Yep. Um, given the fact that all of my peers in my class were, um, uh, for the most part at the time, I guess, you know, they went to church on Sundays, um, very much in each other's circles. They kind of knew each other um, from outside. I was, I was very much a sort of outsider and, you know, um, as part of going there, uh, you know, not that I participated, but they'd have... Um, you know, these sort of worship sessions, I guess, inside their, the big church that was associated with the school mm-hmm. um, where, you know, they didn't, they didn't uh, do communion or anything like that, but it was, you know, you got there, you sung some songs, um, read some Bible verses, um, and uh, obviously that in comparison to the traditional Latin mass is um, chalk and cheese to say the least. Uh, so from a very early stage, I knew that, my faith was different um, and that the way we practised it was definitely different as well. Um, 
as time went on, uh, you know, obviously people found out that I was Catholic and they sort of started accusing me of interesting things like praying to statues, um, thinking that Mary was, you know, somehow better or on par with Jesus. And it was like, hang on a second, no. Um, given and because I hadn't had like a really, like I learned the catechism, but it wasn't, it was like, you know, um, here's the question, here's the answer, and that's how it is. Yeah. No one really explained to me, here are the reasons why um, the catechism states X, Y, and Z, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really hard for me to um, articulate or argue um, my, my points and what I believed. And most of the time I just sort of ignore the questions and yeah. um, sort of get on, get on with life and um, go from there. And a lot of the time, um, at least in my experience anyway, you're only caused to think about things like that the minute somebody attacks you. So you, you read the academic answer in a book yeah. and you go, okay, I think I understand what that means and blah, 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 blah. But then somebody actually goes at you on a, on a point and you're, you're forced to actually try and process what it was that you read previously. And sometimes that can be messy. Yeah. Um, but, but over time, it's, that's, I guess, the, the practical application of the theory that you sort of need. Um, yeah, exactly. On um, you know, in, in, in a certain sort of sense, um, uh, like well, I feel more, much more well-equipped now to answer their questions, um, but you have to understand that there's um, some significant hurdles when it comes to that sort of stuff as well because, um, you know, whilst their hearts uh, may be in the right sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, setting or, or motivation, I guess, um, they are coming at, um, the Bible fundamentally different to us. And um, they've also, you know, they're, they're reading a different Bible really at the end of the day. It's very um, difficult. Yeah. Books. When there's yeah, no common ground, you go, how, how do we have any sort of meaningful conversation? Exactly. You have to go so, back and back and back and back. You really do. And that's yeah. something that I'm uh, trying to do at the moment. Um, but that being said, you know, you've got to find that common ground with um, people, um, whether they be brothers in Christ as Protestants are with us or or whether it be, you know, um, uh, an ardent atheist, you've got to go, okay, all right, so what's something that we have in common and can build that building block from? So, mm, um, yeah. for example, you know, um, Protestants have a very deep, love and respect for the Bible. And that's definitely something that you can work with along with a deep love and respect for Jesus, mm -hmm. um, Christ, our King. So, um, you know, there is definitely room to work with, but don't go into it um, half-baked or half-cocked or anything like that because um, it will blow up in your face. Um, and, and definitely approach it with a um, spirit of charity as well and understanding. Huge. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, understand that uh, through no fault of these individuals, um, they may have been misled um, uh, for whatever reasons, um, you know, may have been misled even with the best of intentions. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's always good to um, make sure you try and keep those communication channels open with anyone that you encounter, I guess. Yep. Going back to your early days where concepts like, religion and God just at a very fundamental level, things you were naturally comfortable with and things that made sense to you? Or were there was that something that you had to confront as you grew older? Um, 
all of that stuff came naturally to me, I guess, because um, I could see it and I could see the evidence for it anecdotally speaking, I guess, and um, reason it out quite easily. So for me, that particular hurdle wasn't quite so much. Um, as time went on, um, I think I kind of just got sick of being um, kind of um, on my own in a certain sort of context. So um, unlike some of the bigger traditional Catholic communities, um, whilst we did go and travel into some of these bigger communities, I didn't necessarily feel exactly um, like I fit in per se because um, in a certain sort of sense I was and still am to a certain extent very worldly, um, something that I am trying to work on as much as I can. Um, but I think that I probably was exposed more to the world than your average cradle Catholic traditional Catholic um, within these communities. So I struggled to fit in there as well. Um, so as time went on, I just sort of very selfishly uh, from a spiritual sort of um, point of view, just wanted to do me as such. And I did walk away from my faith there for quite a number of years. Um, I didn't stop believing in God though. I, I wouldn't say. Um, I think it was more of the, more of a case of I got tired of um all the rules and regulations and all the things that I couldn't could do and couldn't do um, or had to do um, and sort of left from there. Yep. Um, I might I might leave you open for another question on that one. <laughs> well, that, that that is so interesting. And they're they're the things I love talking about because you're not the first to have done that. You're not the last. And what we're talking you you're not the last two, well, who probably will do that. And what we're talking about are you know, struggles. And that's, to my mind, one of the things that makes the Catholic Church so beautiful is because it is so upfront about personal struggling and suffering, and it really embraces that. Sure, it has rules and regulations, etc. Um, but, hey, we're all sinners. And so in terms of you... Um, you, you, you identified the things that caused you to walk away. What was it like once you yeah. walked away? Because you, you've come back and I don't know how long yeah. you were away. Maybe you can talk to that and just, you know, fit, fill in what may, maybe what you did. But big picture, what was playing on your mind over the course of that period of time that caused you to re-engage with uh, Catholicism? Yeah. So um, I guess, um, gee, I walked away from my faith for about, oh, let me think, because this is quite a while ago, mm -hmm. um, for roughly about seven years, give or take. Um, so That's a stretch. And that, that, that's so interesting because yeah. that's long enough to have made a clean break. Yeah. Um, it like certainly was long break. enough yeah. to make a clean break. Yeah. I guess... Um, once I uh, sort of walked away from it, um, really got involved with, um, you know, doing things that other people were doing, really, you know, fitting in and having fun and having a great time doing all of that, mm -hmm. um, there was a part of me that knew that a bunch of the stuff was wrong. And eventually I started crossing boundaries and lines that I knew that even as a child, I was um, becoming a person that 
I would despise. So if you were to get me at that point in time and present that version of myself to six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old me, they would have just gone, who are you and why are you doing this? You yep. know this is wrong. You need to step, step away and walk away from it. So I think there was always that um, in the back of my mind sort of um, bugging me a bit. That mm-hmm. being said, I always had um, people around me that believed in Jesus to some sort of extent. So um, some of my friends were uh, very fervent um, Protestants and, um, you know, their experiences with faith sort of reinforced the fact that, okay, yeah, there is a good chunk of this that, that is real um, and that if I'm if I actually do believe it, then I'm going to have to do something about it. I guess perhaps I was doing a bit of a St. Augustine um, and sort of went, look, I'm having a fair bit of fun at the moment. I'll deal with that later. Um, And then eventually it did come full circle for me. Um, It was in my travels in London, as a matter of fact, and um, thanks to uh, a show regular here, Chris Sudlow and Tamara Martinez and um, some very other good, Good Strong people. Catholics. Um, Good people. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, Emma Cosgrove, I'm not too sure if you've had her on the show. No. Um, they they helped me get back on track. Um, albeit um, there was some very uh, passionate interactions, I would say, uh, a bit of yelling and a lot of red wine. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, they got the job done. <laughs> yeah. So to speak. Uh, one of the first things, like, I think Chris very early um, cottoned on that I was not in a great place. And one of the first things that he did was, what are you doing this weekend? And I went, oh, yeah, not, nothing much because footy season was over. Yep. He said, right, we're going on a train and we're going out to see um, uh, the priest that runs St. Michael's School in um, uh, out west of London. Mm-hmm. Said, yeah, sure, no worries. Um and in that, I sort of confronted this priest. Like, he didn't know me from a bar of soap. He didn't really know my history or anything like that. I said, look, I've got a whole bunch of problems um, with what's happened. So um, I probably should have uh, talked about this a little bit sooner. But um, my mum got us to move from Adelaide to Melbourne. Um, mostly to be around um, the traditional Catholic families around there to hope that, you know, we would sort of fit in and everything would go fine. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, um, that didn't work out. We moved to Queensland for a year. Um, That didn't work out for various reasons. We ended up back in Adelaide. Um, Along with that, I saw a lot of priests coming in and sort of telling my parents and my mum what to do. and them just doing it. And I was just kind of like, this is, this in my mind, I was like, this is not a good idea. Like, oh, none of this makes sense. Why are we going to do this? Yep. Um, whilst I understand motivations now, um, the, the practical, I think the finer details, my mum didn't quite disclose to the priest. So, you know, to give them an out, um, they were probably providing advice that um, wasn't well suited for that point in time, unknown to them. Um, so I had, and I sort of had a bit of a problem with how everyone, everyone sort of like saw all these priests as much holier than thou and that, you know, almost what they said was 
gold. You can't, you know, dispute or deny anything that they said. So I did have some problems because I was like, look, if they're as good as everyone tells me that they are and they're giving my parents really, really bad advice, where are we going? You know, um, <laughs> yeah. how much can I trust these guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I sort of aired that out to this priest and he just sort of went, look, you know, mate, we're human too. Um, we're going to make mistakes and, you know, our interests are this, the salvation of souls. And based on whatever information people give us, we're going to try and steer people towards that, um, you know, and you don't have to believe everything that we say <laughs> sort of thing. It was like, unless it's, of course, you know, a matter of um, uh, faith and morals and dogma and doctrine sort of situation, then um, but we will have the backing of the Catholic Church and the teachings of saints, the word of God, yep. holy tradition, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, and I just sort of went, yeah, okay, no worries. Thanks for that, Father. Went back, caught up with Chris, and then we went to the pub for a few beers, which was great. That was always up my alley. Um, they're, so, they're, um, I think sometimes those yeah. can be the most powerful conversations. The unloose, well, well what's the word? Um, j j just the authentic, raw, little bit of alcoholic lubricant. Yeah. Uh, with a confidant who you will spill everything to and who is worth spilling everything to. And, you know, it sounds like you were blessed to have a few of those in your life, as I have yeah, been definitely. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was uh, sort of my story of walking away from the faith. I think mm -hmm. one thing that there was that always that anchor, that seed, I guess, for lack of a better term, that was just like, God is real and, um, you know, if you do believe that, then there's some inevitable consequences mm. and, and the way that you live and act out your life and yeah. um, what's the right way to go about it. And to me, um, you know, the traditional Catholic um, way of life and um, especially the TLM is a great um, representation and the most authentic um, a thing that you can probably experience on this planet, bar mm -hmm. experiencing a miracle firsthand like <laughs> Fatima or, or you know, um, the yeah. miracle of Lanciano where the, um, you know, the Eucharist actually turned into um, yep. the flesh of our Lord. So, um, yeah, it's the closest thing that you're going to get. And um, from what I hear, angels are also a little bit envious that we've got that. So, yeah, um, wow. Something that I do mean to ask him if I get to the pearly gates. <laughs> a few things I want to touch on based on that. Um, how do you know Chris and Tam? Um, through Emma Cosgrove, I gotcha. think would probably be the best answer because I rocked up to London at the time that she was there and, yep. um, yeah, basically rocked up to Mass, um, saw these guys, went out with some for some beers, got along with them fine. Chris and I had some uh, very similar experiences. Um, he told me that he was um, in the British Army version of the reserves. So um, we obviously had a lot of um, experiences that we could have we could draw on and a lot in common on that front. Okay. What took you to London? Um, I'm going to throw Victoria Langeth 
under the bus on this one. Um, okay. She was just like I was in contact with her. I can't exactly remember how, but um, I was in contact with her and she was just telling me about all these great things that she was doing over in Europe and the UK. At the time, I was um, just finishing university um, and around then I got a job. Unfortunately for me, the global financial crisis hit and um, and jobs in sport and recreation uh, quite often the first go uh, simply because it's, it's a, you know, a recreational yep. type um, industry um, and when people's budgets are squeezed, that's the first thing to go. Yeah. So um, that unfortunately didn't pan out for me and I had some money saved up and I thought, you know what, stuff it. I'm just going to go over there and I'm just going to have a great time. I don't know what's going to happen, but let's do it. So I packed up all my stuff. Um, I, I left my car and all my things at my auntie and uncle's house um, and uh, jumped on a plane and went to London. And um, funnily enough, the minute I got off the plane in London, that's when one of my old mates from my primary school um, messaged me and said, uh, get to this oval when you can. Uh, we've got you lined up to play a game of AFL. <laughs> <laughs> so I was literally off the plane, jet lagged, um, and played a game of footy. How good is that? How would you pull up? Uh, not great. Not great. Not great. Um, I think I played an all right game, um, but then straight after that, um, they took me out on a boat cruise, and there was just plenty oh, of beer and bother. other antics going on. Yeah, so gotcha. um, that'd be churning. I think. I think. Yeah, I think. Um, I think I. Uh, there was just one point, probably at about eight or nine, where I was just almost falling asleep, standing up, sort of thing. Gotcha. Because <laughs> I was. I was pretty. I was pretty spent. Yep. And then um, a, a bigger picture issue you touched on that I'd really like to discuss further with you um, is that conflict you felt between what you saw in tradition, which is it, it conflicts enormously with what you see and experience out in what we would call the world. And tradition is small especially back in those days, tradition would have been smaller and would have had a far smaller footprint than what it has today. And confronting issues like the ones you identified in terms of the, the clout a priest has in tradition yeah. is so anathema to the ideas that are circulating in wider society. Um, you just look at some of the issues that are floating around in society to do with the clergy over the past five, ten years. Um, and, look, there have been problems that have caused those issues. But if you, you contrast them and you go, one is based on a belief in God, a belief in Jesus Christ, a belief in the Catholic Church, and a belief in the unadulterated passing on of certain truths. And then the other, the far bigger one, rejects the first premise. And... That gives you something absolutely completely different. So many people, when they go out and they, um, let's say, smell the roses and get the candy, go go out into the world, um, 
they really, really struggle coming back because they're, they're, the two are irreconcilable. They are mutually exclusive, really. They are. Um, you can, I guess, um, you can attempt to do what I did and try and make them work, but there is, there's a point that you'll reach, if you try to do that, you'll reach a point where you've got to, just got to choose one or the other. Yeah, and let, um, let's, let's clarify something because yeah. I, th- I think this is something yeah, you, you may be able to, to, to comment on and relate to. When, when you say, you know, irreconcilable, you're not talking about having acquaintances and close friends who are not of the faith. I, I think that's terrific, beautiful, and apostolic, so long as you are actually making it apostolic. Um, you know, you don't put up the blinders and shun everything that comes from outside your small, small little church community because I think that's a very un-Catholic attitude in terms of we're commanded to go out and be apostolic and evangelize. But I think what I'm getting at is more compromising, living two separate lives. And uh, yes. that is something that I think a lot of people experience. Um, I've probably experienced that, you know, uh, Monday yeah, to Friday sure. is different um, to Sunday, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, without definitely. going into too much detail. Um, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, you, uh, you've been to university, mate. Um, mm-hmm. You've been a around, good time. been on the campuses. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Um, yep. You know, uh, the, but there comes a point where, you know, the chip's going to come down and you're just going to have to go all in on, on which hand you want to go all in on. It's completely yep. up to you. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, if, if you believe in God and you believe that he's revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, to the world, um, and all those sorts of things, there's inevitable um, flow-on effects to that belief. Um, you know, it, it has to shift your perspective. And if you actually believe in these things, um, you need to act as though you do believe in them. Otherwise, you're living a somewhat duplicitous life and at some point um, it's probably going to do your mental health some sort of damage. Yeah. Uh, and, and, to be honest. you know, we... we- we smile, but it's true. That's right. So well, I guess where the, the next step I wanted to take that is in terms of um, a lot of a lot of people see, and this, I, I discuss this with a lot of other people, um, the way they perceive Catholicism is a system of rules and regulations and commands and yeah. the, the quality of your life is based on how well you conform to those dictates. And... To me, that's such an archaic and just inaccurate uh, perception of Catholicism because Catholicism is meant to be happy, beautiful, and that comes as a result of the happiness you experience from conforming with truth. In the times that you went... um, Well, let's call them through through the dark time, through the struggle, where... Was, was there fulfilment? Was it the lack of fulfilment that caused you to um, go question. come back? Um, there was a very much a... Um, that wasn't a leading question at all. Was, like what, how, yeah, yeah, no. what are um, your experiences on that? Yeah, so you're right. Um, whilst you have a bunch of fun and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. there's a certain part of you, um, and if you're being honest with yourself, that you'll find that um, 
you're not being fulfilled in in a very non-materialistic way. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, um, and and I can just point to this anecdotally, for example, some of the most rich and powerful people on the planet are inherently unhappy for one reason or another. Um, But there is no reason from if you were a materialist and you desired all of these things, why is it that these people are so unhappy? Um, So it's not like... It's not, it's, the world is trying to sell, um, sell you this um, lifestyle, I guess, and you can have it all and you shouldn't feel guilty for wanting to have it all. Um, but there is a point where um, things won't work out and there's a point where things start to get a little bit broken, not only within, you know, great economic system, um, or anything like that, um, but just inherently within yourself. Um, there's a certain sort of emptiness that I certainly felt um, that I was not entirely sure how to fill. Um, all I knew was that I wouldn't be able to fill it uh, doing what I currently was doing. Um, so something had to change um, and I really had to, really had to um, sort of stump up and I guess put my money where my mouth was and, um, and, and get on with it. Okay. And the, the flip side to that is did a return, an invigorated return to Catholicism give you happiness? Because some people go off, they experience dark nights of the soul and they can tend to describe their return to Catholicism as almost a, a, a prodigal son returning to a yeah, maybe a dictatorial father that's going. You know, I I told you so. So I I left the air of my ways <laughs> and I dragged my sorry self back to the person who was right all along, as opposed to going. I, think, I left I left this behind yeah. me. I returned and I was embraced with you know I guess that the true story of the prodigal son, where there was a feast and they actually experienced real real joy. Yeah, I does think, your Catholicism um, make you happy? That's my question. Yeah, it does. Oh, sorry. Yes, my Catholicism definitely makes me happy. Um, It wasn't like a prodigal son moment where, bang, um, I was all of a sudden happy and the feast was on or anything like that. I think um, when you uh, said that, you know, sort of dragged myself back in the door, feeling a bit sorry and limp and lame, um, I think that was probably a little bit more accurate. Um, But I knew that, in, in, in my faith, I'd find truth and um, some sort of intrinsic satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it wouldn't be something that just came to me instantly. This was not like um, your faith isn't like a cup of Nesquik. You don't just put some Nesquik in there, pour the milk in, and you get your delicious drink, right? Yeah. It's just not how it works. It might work for some people, but um, I... I I'd say that they're the exception, not the rule, mm. and I'm really happy that they've, they've had those experiences because I do think that um, it provides, and I think God gives the people that need those experiences um, the sort of strength and motivation to stick to the faith, which is fantastic. Um, but for those that don't experience that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not for you. You need to put work into it. Um, you need to really sort of mortify um, yourself, not only not only your physical self, um, but 
psychologically as well, and mm-hmm. then also spiritually. So, you know, there's a certain sort of uh, cross-section um, there where all of those things start to come together. Um, and until you, until you accept the fact that these things are factual and that um, and once you motivate yourself to actually do something about it, I would say that the more you get into it and the more you read up on great stories um, of great saints, um, the history of the church, how the church actually works in terms of um, how the dogmas come about, um, why we practice our faith, the way we practice our faith, how that links into sacred scripture, how that links into sacred tradition, um, and the role that the magisterium needs to play within that, um, things start to make sense. Um, And then once you start acting out your life in the way that Christ wants you to act out your life, the happiness will start to flow from within. Um, You'll find yourself more content, more ease, more peace, um, and actually be able to um, sort of um, prioritise your life accordingly. So, for example, as Catholics, we are called to um, save our souls and the souls of others. What does that mean? That means that we really need to um, tidy up our own bedroom, as Jordan Peterson would say, um, before we go out and do anything. You know, um, as much as we try, uh, we are all sinners and thank God that Christ instituted the um, sacrament of confession. Otherwise, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what things would look like otherwise. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, um, to any, anyone that's listening or watching, um, my advice to you is just um, stick at it and, and really invest um, yourself into it. And I think that's one of the great things about Catholic faith is um, it's free. Um, obviously, I'm not saying that people shouldn't financially contribute to um, their local parish or anything like that. Definitely not. But um, if you want to get into Catholicism and you just don't know whether it's for you or not for you, whatever the case may be, hey, guess what? If you walk in through the door, there's not someone there with a door charge service going, yeah. you know, where's your ticket? It costs 50 bucks entry. You know, that's not going to happen. Um, but that being said, it's not like um, just rocking up and just doing the things um, you're just going to instantly find happiness um, or contentment within that. You're going to have to work at it and um, really knuckle down um, as pretty much all the great saints throughout yeah. history um, have shown us. That is, that is so, so interesting what you just said um, because it, it brings to mind a comment that somebody recently made to me in terms of how we are conditioned to think and that they were talking about um, uh, in the context of gi- giving up a smartphone. They were just, they were sick of social media um, and they, they <laughs> throwed it away and they got, uh, they, they got a different phone, I think, which gave them access to emails, um, but not, you know, they couldn't access Facebook, the gram, anything else. And they said they were expecting instantaneous gratification you know because we're as much as 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 much gratification as everything else gives us instantly you know um everything in wider wider society is designed 
to hit you instantaneously. And that, that's the addiction. That's the thing that sort of sucks you in and chews you up. And a lot of the time doesn't spit you out, um, which is the real struggle. But you turn away from those things and you, you make that conscientious decision to try and fight back or win or work on yourself and improve yourself. And they said, it's so funny because we've been conditioned to expect instantaneous results in the opposite. Um, and so you just don't get those. And Catholicism yeah. especially, those, those things worth cherishing and preserving are so different. Um, it's a completely different game. It's, it's quiet as opposed to loud. It's calm as opposed to chaotic. It's long-term as opposed to short-term. And so if you're, you're carrying and relying on those, you know, loud, short-term gratification, not, well, ironically, those things actually don't give you happiness, which is no, what uh, I think and, and people find. Yeah. yeah, you know, you've definitely nailed, uh, put the, nailed, bleh, sorry, nailed it on the head there. Um, you know, we are conditioned for, um, you know, this instant gratification. And I think the world um, at large is quite good at um, presenting that as an option. And there is a certain amount of um, gratification that you can instantly get from the world and um, all those sorts of things. So I think that uh, in a certain sort of sense, uh, it's successful in its marketing and it's successful in its product delivery, for lack of a better way mm -hmm. of putting it. Um, uh, but the fine print is you'll still feel a certain sort of emptiness within you. Um, and I think, and I think you know, um, greater to the conversation is um, the de-Christianization of the West. So, and I think probably a good chunk of people have um, talked about it within um, all the Catholic communities. It's certainly something, uh, broadly speaking, that's a topic. Um, obviously, there's more specific um, sort of causes and topics within that, but um, I do see the de-Christianisation of the West as um, certainly a cultural shift, um, and it has left the world and, and its population feeling somewhat empty. And I theorise, and I have absolutely no um, academic studies or anything to, to back this comment, so please take it with a huge grain of salt, but I theorise that um, with the de-Christianisation of the West and this lack of fulfilment, we have seen the rise of um, social justice warrior types um, simply because there is this offer of, well, you're not going to get all of your material gratification, but here's a cause Religion. that you can invest yourself in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's yeah. sort of this like um, pseudo-religion. Pseudo yeah. Um, and from it, you can derive self-fulfillment. And, um, you know, uh, and with the de-Christianisation of the West, people are looking for fulfillment and they're looking in other places for it. And um, some people found it within these movements. Some people found it in, um, in some other more nefarious type things like um, drugs, um, which is just absolutely destroying, you know, um, the family unit and society at large, and um, all sorts of other things as well. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that's absolutely correct in terms of what you're saying. Um, 
about Catholicism. I don't know about your chaotic comment there. Uh, I think there's a good consensus that uh, the Catholic Church, as it stands at this point in time of recording, uh, is in quite the chaotic situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Look, hard but, to argue um, with that. Yeah, uh, but, you know, we, I guess what you're getting at there, though, is, um, you know, we're called, we're not called to chaos, we're called to calmness and to, mm -hmm. um, and, um, to be content within ourselves. Um, you know, uh, God has a plan for each and every individual on this planet. The, the question is, do you, do you want to, do you want to play ball with him or not? You know, um, if you don't want to play ball with him, fine, leave the field, um, go play another, go play another game. But, um, at the end of the day, you might find yourself coming back to the field that you, um, that you know, and to be true. And, um, if you do. Uh, you're not gonna just gonna instantly win the game, so to speak. You're gonna have to work at it. You're gonna have to put a few preseasons in it. Mm -hmm. Really, really interesting comments. To to tie this all up, um, can you tell me a little bit about Luke now? Yeah, your circumstances, yeah, your situation, sure. and contrast that with maybe the the previous versions of yourself. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so. Um, uh, the family that I grew up in was um, a the best way that I'll put it is I saw what I didn't want to have for my family. Um, and right now I'm incredibly happily married to my lovely wife, Amanda. Um, we have just um, had the arrival of our second child, Emmalise. Congratulations. Um, which is, yeah, thank you, mate. Um, and we've also got our first child, John, whom both I love very dearly um, and, you know, um, we're, we're all working on our faith together in so yeah. much as we can, um, you know, just doing the basics right, um, you know, admittedly is a bit of a struggle, you know. Uh, so, for example, and I know this is not the best of examples, but I struggle with my daily rosary and that's something that I'm currently working on. Um, and, uh, you know, I do find that whenever I am praying the rosary regularly, um, things in my life tend to slow down and to become more calm and I'm able to actually um, make decisions as, um, you know, a, a husband and even at work and, and other areas of my life much more effectively. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know whether that's, um, a purely physical byproduct. I know that there's obviously some supernatural gifts that you get from saying the rosary, but um, there's some bizarre um, physical side effects that I've certainly noticed yeah. that I have no reason to, like, I can't explain it. Um, uh, but right now, very happily married um, with two wonderful kids, um, hoping to have more, of course, God willing, um, and, um, and, uh, yeah, we're just trying to get on with life and, um, you know, try and bring about Christ the King's reign here on earth in so much as we can with the, um, admittedly hostile environment that we're operating in. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we just, um, want to, you know, do our part, I guess, where we can. Terrific. Well, Luke, it's been Phenomenal hearing your story. It's such an interesting story that so many people can learn so much from. Um, but I think in addition to that, um, kind of relate to, and I really appreciate you sharing 
those the difficulties you had and your, your thought processes going through it. Because as as we've discussed, um, you know, you and I are two people amongst millions um, who probably have a lot in common in that, uh, you know, we're human, we're mortal. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share those thoughts and those experiences uh, with me. And I really hope, uh, I have no doubt that the listeners will get an awful lot from it. Uh, And, mate, good luck in your game of touch. Carve up. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, mate. Um, Where where do you play? I think. In a position, um, sort of, you were, yeah, you were quickie oh, or in, you got a good, good cutout pass? Yeah. Um, in touch, uh, just, I try and get in amongst the action, to be honest. Touch follow, is not a game run. that I, yep. um, yeah, yeah, touch is not a game that I'm, uh, uh, what's the, I've got a great technical aptitude for. Um, yep. I'm definitely guided by some other more experienced people, but I like to think I'm relatively quick off my feet. Yeah. Um, but uh, wasn't as quick as I was uh, seven years ago that much <laughs> is for sure. <laughs> Terrific. Well, all the best. Hope you carve up. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me in the lounge room today. Thank you very much, Tom. God bless. Thanks. Luke is somebody who believes that no matter how hard your life and the practices of your Catholicism gets, it is always worth sticking to it and you don't know uh, where it will lead you or the benefit that it will give you. Luke, thanks again. No worries.